Hello, everyone, and welcome to this free episode of TF. It is the free one. Great. I love that that's back. Uh, <laughs> it never went away, Ryan. Psychological torture there. Yeah, um, that's, my cur- that's my curse. Uh, however, uh, I also am very pleased to introduce today's episode. It is Milo, Alice, and Riley, and we are joined by Bloomberg's Zeke Fox, the author of the new Number Go Up, um, inside story of the rise and fall of crypto, where... Uh, uh, shocking for most people who write crypto books, Zeke, you were not taken in by any charlatans while writing this book. Well, maybe one or two. Yeah, I mean, you're on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you, you like opened up the doors of the snake oil wagon and you sort of like had a look around and you didn't buy any snake oil. Yes, I mean, I really wish I was coming here, though, as the reporter who, you know, took down Sam Bakeman Freed and exposed the greatest fraud of all time. Um, unfortunately, even though I got to spend days sitting right next to him, I did not uncover this scam. However, I can say that your book um, does have now one honor attached to it, which is for those of you who've been watching the Sam Bankman Freed trial, where the world's most self-incriminating man <laughs> decides to say that a bunch of stuff that was written down and recorded never was. Wow, Dave Courtney is barely yeah. buried, and you're saying there's a more self-incriminating <laughs> man. Is Zeke, your book was actually used as evidence by the prosecution. Yeah, it was wild. Um, the prosecutor was interviewing Sam and said, you know, haven't you ever said that Alameda Research, your hedge fund, had, didn't play by the, the rules on, on FTX? And he was like, I don't remember saying that. And then she whipped out a copy of Number Go Up. And it was actually very dramatic. The defense said objection. They had a little conference. Oh, and the judge ruled. always want. Yeah, the judge ruled that that Number Go Up would be admissible. And then she started reading things that he said to me. I, I interviewed him in right after FTX failed, but before he got arrested, and he had admitted some stuff to me, and I had wondered, like, isn't this, uh, this seems pretty bad. Like, he said to, so he said to me, I said, listen, Alameda didn't play by the rules, right? And he said, there was more leeway. And, like, those four words right there, mm. like, that's, that's fraud. Like, you could get convicted for that. So the, the prosecutor brought this up. And some, also some other things that, that he admitted. And uh, amazingly, the defense tried to counter by introducing the Michael Lewis book, the, his biography of Sam Bankman-Fried going infinite. And they had a little conference. Oh, wow. And the judge actually ruled that the part that the defense wanted to bring up sounded like it was made up and that they would not be allowed to introduce it. So that book did not <laughs> I just, come in. I just really like that, like, for a second, as he was incriminating himself, you're like, are you sure? Like, you're wearing, like, a t-shirt with, like, journalist on it, and, like, big fonts, <laughs> right? Like, you've been labelled. And he's like, yeah, no, 100% I was doing fraud. I, the defence called Martin Lewis by mistake, and he gave everyone advice on rewards credit cards. <laughs> Uh, so I would say, like, if you're going to read one book about the um, rise and fall of crypto, uh, read the one that is that uh, judges hail as admissible. <laughs> yeah, they're calling it the most mm. admissible book of the year. Mm. That's um, right. So, look, Michael Lewis's book, um, it's one that uh, gets talked about a lot as, as a guy who wanted to root for an underdog 
finding it in Sam, in, in Sam mm. and then sort of writing the story about how traditional finance was overly powerful, overly clubby, um, sort of too self. He tried to write the big short again, too regulating. <laughs> yeah, but realized basically that he he got sort of taken in, you know. And and your book is frequently compared to that book as someone who um, sort of saw Sam Bankman Fried and instead of seeing him as as what character he wanted to play, you kind of saw him as a an odd and off putting man. Well, yeah, I I think I came into this very skeptical of crypto, and I thought that. All right, here's this guy. He's running Super Bowl ads that are saying, "Hey, we should go. Everyone should go gamble on crypto. And if you're if you don't, you're a loser." And I thought mm. that was the bad thing that he was doing. That he was running like this casino and telling everyone to go gamble on these silly coins where they're going to lose their money. I did not suspect that he was stealing all the money out of the back of the casino. Uh but yeah, so I think like my low opinion of him to begin with blinded me to the even larger fraud that that was going on but i mean the the thing is with these books um when i went to go write the book or also when michael lewis went to go write his ftx had collapsed the truth was uh was obvious so i i don't think i can take too much credit for going to write a book after an obvious fraud has been revealed and saying that uh, it's an obvious fraud <laughs> One for the obvious fraud office. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so I want to talk like the book is um, framed largely, actually not as an about Sam Bankman Fried. He's a big character, but is largely an investigation of Tether. That's like the main thing driving it. Oh, and yes. I want to get into this parish. Mm. I want to get into into the book, but first, I mean, when the world's most self incriminating man testifies in his own defense, you got to talk about the trial. Um, if only, if only I want the things that he says. Right, the thing that the yeah. the thing that struck me most recently was uh, when he he took the stand in his own defense, and he said, "I made large mistakes and small mistakes," which sort of covers a lot of ground. Uh, and they asked him what his what his large mistakes might have been. And he said, "Oh, not hiring like a regulatory department or a compliance department at all." Um, not sure what the small mistakes. That are. was a small one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've, I've been down at the courthouse uh, for the trial, and it's been amazing. He really. Did- like pers- I feel like he should make up some sort of plausible story that the jury could a- could agree with. Instead, he's I just sort of been twin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just uh, when he's just been for his defense, he just sort of retold the very familiar story of his of his rise. And when the when the prosecution went to cross examine him, he immediately started forgetting everything and just went with I don't recall. <laughs> I don't recall. I don't recall. Um, and I, the prosecutor was pretty clever. Now, he's deleted all of his signal messages. And he was pretty proud of this. He, he was profiled. His family was written about in The New Yorker before the trial. And Sam said, well, those prosecutors, they'll never find the signal messages that say, go steal this money because there are no signal messages like that. Um, and that's true because they've all been deleted. The The company ran on auto-delete. But what the prosecutors do have is all of his top lieutenants, one after another, coming up and taking the stand and basically saying, we committed fraud. We're really sorry. We did it with that guy over there with the curly hair. Um, and the, the jury has been, a lot of them have been falling asleep. So I don't mm. think they're paying, they're following maybe some of the like detailed stuff about 
margin trading and how crypto exchanges work. But if they like the message they're getting, it's just like a lot of fraud was committed. My, my favorite element of uh, Sam Bankman Fried's defense is basically that he was held hostage by like Nishad Singh and Gary Wang. Who who were like committing fraud, and then he was like, "Hey, are you guys committing fraud?" And they responded, "No, go over <laughs> to your corner." <laughs> yeah, it's also amazing that like the preeminent like financial fraud trial of the last few years is a guy whose name is basically scam banking fraud. <laughs> like what? A- <laughs> sort of a Hideo Kojima name, you know? Sam, it's Bankman yeah. Freed. Yeah. Uh, so what I but speaking of um of, of his par- of his parents, you mentioned this. Uh, the pe- there are a number of suits. Uh, other cases, including a lawsuit involving his parents, um, and I've been following this as well from uh, Molly White's fabulous Substack, uh, which I always recommend. Um, and what she wrote, uh, you know, in one example, uh, they detailed how the purchase of a, bah- of a Bahamian property for Sam Bankman-Fried's parents came directly out of investor funds. The defense's rebuttal to this line of testimony was that because dollars are fungible, it's impossible to know where a given dollar pooled among other dollars in a bank account went in <laughs> the end. That's why it's called money laundering. It gets clean. <laughs> yeah, it's just like the what is money anyway defense. <laughs> it seems like it's going to be like life offered him so many off ramps include up to and including a plea deal. It is baffling to me that his defense was I was great. Everyone around me tricked me. I was a genius who created a whole industry and I was going to be U.S. president, 5%. I knew it. But also, everyone around me tricked me into doing fraud and I just wanted to be in my polycule. (laughs) My polycule tricked me, basically. The worst polycule in the world. And that's saying something. Oh, yeah. Uh, What I also really enjoy as well is uh, the suit says that he requested and got to appear is that his dad, uh, Dan Bankman-Fried's dad, got to appear in the Larry David Super Bowl commercial. Uh, and this lawsuit mentions an email where he says he's not a star fucker and doesn't care about meeting Tom Brady, but he really cares about meeting Larry David. To which, <laughs> to which I might have to say, how much of this was engineered so that Sam Bankman Freed's dad could have a... a, a, a awkward and terse conversation with Larry David. I mean, I would run a big fraud just to meet Larry David. <laughs> You're a good man, Bagman Freed. Keep it up. Uh, did, you, did you see the part where Sam's dad told Sam he was unhappy to be receiving a salary of only $200,000 and that if Sam didn't raise it to a million dollars, he might have to go talk with Sam's mom about this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was awesome. I mean, getting extorted by your dad is like... All-time business techniques, you know? Yeah. Well, because he couldn't be spending all day on the naughty step. He had a company to run. <laughs> um, and also, the, uh, the back to the main trial. This is out of the, uh, the parents now. Uh, Danielle Sassoon, the uh, prosecutor, um, also noted uh, Bankman-Fried's overly cozy relationship with Bahamian regulators, noting that the prime minister and his tickets, uh, his wife, excuse me, received tickets to a game at the FTX Arena in Miami. Bangman Freed said he recalled visiting the game, but no, was not sure uh, how they got tickets or where they sat. Then a number of text messages were revealed. Uh, <laughs> say you asking say, directly. Did did you get the seats for the Bahamanian Prime Minister? Yes, the Bahamanian Prime Minister and his wife are in their seats now. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> Thank you for securing the seats for the Bahamanian <laughs> Prime Minister and his wife. Did you remember to give them their bribes? <laughs> yeah. Love Sam Bankman Freed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um. There was a similar moment where she was saying to Sam, uh, did you fly on private jets? And he was like, define private, define jet. And then <laughs> define she was fly. like, look at this picture. 
Yeah, and she pulled out a picture of him asleep, showing off his thighs, uh, <laughs> and it clearly in a private jet. Um, of all of the lieutenant testimonies, I gotta ask, which was your favorite? Was it Singh, Ellison, Wang? Oh, I really liked um, Adam Yadidia. Mm -hmm. He was um, Sam's friend from MIT. I actually, I met him in the Bahamas when I was down there to profile Sam. And I was really impressed by him because we did the interview around like 4 p.m. So several hours after lunch. But his pants were just absolutely covered with soy sauce. <laughs> like he had, uh, he had just like poured his lunch all over his pants and he had not gone home to change. He just kept working and doing an interview with a visiting journalist. Awesome. Um, so he, I was happy to see him again. He's become a math teacher. He seemed like a really, really harmless, nice guy. So I'm glad he's turned over a new leaf. Um, and he told a very dramatic story that took place on the, um, I may be saying this wrong, but they were playing paddle tennis as they like to do. I think it's paddle, yeah. It's paddle. It's not paddle. I think it's paddle. Oh, and uh, he said to Sam, is everything okay? And Sam said, we're not bulletproof. And this it was like a this this was a really dramatic moment when he knew things weren't cool. But he stuck with Sam. He even sent Sam an email saying, "I love you." A few days <laughs> after things collapsed, but then uh, I love he my learned the truth. Himbo. Uh, yeah, and so the the defense really badgered this um, very sweet seeming guy about why he quit, why he stuck around, why didn't you quit? Um, you know, did, how did you? Why did you decide to quit when you did? And finally, he just blurted out. I quit because we stole everybody's money. It was a giant scam. <laughs> and then the judge was like, I don't know why, but the judge was like, strike that, strike that. Um, but the jury heard it. You know, they that, they probably woke up when he blurted that out. <laughs> Every line before that was just, I must be loyal to my kappa. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think uh, one of my, some of my favorites were uh, Caroline Ellison's testimonies about Sam's inner life um and how this is a guy who has just been t like in, in, this is not an actual person this is a less wrong blog comment section right how he he you know he used about he used sort of colossal arrogance disguised as detached probable calculus to say that he had a uh, quote this is sorry this is the direct quote from caroline ellison talking about him he was very ambitious. He wanted. He talked about wanting Alameda and eventually FTX to be successful and end up being huge companies that did a wide variety of things, so like some kind of Bahamas Zaibatsu. Mm. Um, he was also very interested in politics and talked about wanting to use his money to have influence on politics. And by the way, again, like his um, all of his like elect Democrats packs were also just paid for directly out of customer funds. Listen, Caroline, <laughs> it doesn't just stop at finance. We're going to make tuning forks, but not just that. We're going to make scooters, motorbikes, outboard motors, <laughs> symbols for drum kits. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he said at one point there was a 5% chance he'd become president someday. Uh, the question then came, when you say president, what are you referring to? Answer, of the United States. No, at least he stopped there, mm. you know. Could have been of Earth, yeah. you know. You ever had a president that you could buy a speedboat off before? Didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> you could buy a speedboat from Trump. Yeah. I believe uh, that. Ellison, we made a beautiful deal. Ellison also said that Sam once claimed that he would be happy to flip a coin, and if it came up tails and the world was destroyed, that would be fine, as long as, if it came up heads, the world would be, like, more than twice as good. 
<laughs> my friend wandering through soaked with soy sauce. And I'm like, yeah, I'd, I'd probably destroy yeah. the entire world. More I guess. than twice as good. <laughs> Yeah. What a what a what an imprecise wish! Like the world, I want the world to be twice as good. Like what the fuck does no, that this mean? Is, this is just like this guy has to go to prison to keep him from access from any like like genie lamps, you know? Because if he gets near one of those, we're oh, fucked. He's gonna be doing some cigarette trading, baby. Oh, <laughs> when I met him, I feel like I was like this close to to figuring it out because we had this conversation. Like I saw the implications of this philosophy. And I was, one of our first conversations, I was like, Sam, okay, I get this effective altruism thing, um, but by this logic, shouldn't you run like a giant scam right now? You could probably steal billions of dollars. You have so many people's trust in the crypto world, and you could give that all to like poor people in Africa. And he was like, no, no, like the charities don't want your dirty money. Um, but, I've tried! Uh, yeah, meanwhile, he actually was doing it. But for his parents, mostly. <laughs> yeah, he's got Nepo parents. I mean, charity starts yeah, yeah. at home. Well, you know? This is, again, this is the, we talk about him as like a, a someone whose mind has been replaced by a less wrong comment section. I mean, it's not entirely inaccurate. Like this, when you have that kind of extremely sort of strange and off-putting, either effective altruist or like ultra-rationalist or whatever philosophy, then you trick yourself into thinking you're smart by making what you might call big probabilistic bets. Like, actually, I because it's a 51% chance of being twice as good, the payoff matrix or flipping a coin and the world is destroyed if it's, if it's tails, but is more than like twice as good if it's heads. You mm. that, that basic roulette wheel math, you, tr you use that to trick yourself into thinking that you're some kind of a mega genius and that nobody else really can be trusted with power other than you because they're going to be emotional because they're going to be like loss averse for example mm. right and you're not and and you and this is an example of like when you give someone like that actual power not only are they a malin influence on the world they are monumentally categorically stupid and blinded by self regard yes i mean i think he should have figured in his calculations like could i make some mistakes because i'm staying up for 23 hours a day doing Adderall like, might this be screwing up my probabilities? Awesome. Yeah, no, no. Trying to juggle an entire polycule yeah. and all of my dirtbag yeah. friends. I've got a, I've got a himbo to, uh, to well, check this all is, that stuff. That, the himbo is kind of like the court eunuch of the group. Wait, do, the, the soy sauce guy? <laughs> he has just yeah, as yeah, privilege. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah so, so, any case. I now wish to talk about the book, because a lot of this stuff is sort of leading into the book. Um... Before we talk about any of the crypto stuff, though, I wanted to bring up something very, very important that I read. This was a side note in the book, but it's, I think we have to talk about it, which is that the ex-CEO of Tether, Jean-Louis Vandervelde, uh, quote, <laughs> Okay. Twonko Capital will never Chuck die. former associates. Yeah. No, no. The guy who keeps trying to bother Arthur Morgan yeah, for yeah, money. Yeah. Uh, like, Jean-Louis Vandervelde. Uh, more of a Twunkle Capital than a Jerk Vanderclerk guy, I okay, think. Yeah. Um, quote, worked for a salesman for a, as a salesman for a Hong Kong company that sold a product it claimed could make smoking cigarettes good for you, saying, Yes, finally! Yes! If you dip the butt of a cigarette into VitaCool when you smoke, surprisingly, 80% of the nicotine will be transformed into vitamins. So I have to ask, how come you wasted your time writing a book about crypto and not the cigarette that's good for you? <laughs> I, I mean, I wish I got to try one of these. Um... He he claimed not to know anything about it when we when we met. <laughs> He's keeping the secret for himself. 
Mm. Uh, well, that's what he's going to do in cigarette in, in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Selling everyone the cigarette that's good for you. Exactly. You know that they're, they're you know doing this whole sham fraud trial. What they're actually trying to do it's like big oil. You know, destroying the electric car all over again. But it's trying to get the cigarette that's good for you off the streets. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I want to. I want to I, I talk about the um, the book starting from the sort of the general right. You you were initially looked into this to, to say okay tether tether is very odd because it appears to operate kind of sort of as a bank, but a bank that refuses to be audited and does no identity checks on any of its clients ever. Um, and appears to be increasingly, the more you look, at the center of more or less everything in crypto. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll start with generally, right? What was the shape of the world you saw when you started pulling on the thread of Tether and then ended up at ApeFest and ended up in the Celsius office? And ended up in Heather Morgan's house, and ended up in all these Eight places. Fest sounds like a new metal concert that got cancelled due to a cholera outbreak. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, tell me about the shape of the world that you saw, because you met these people up close and personal. Mm. So I was very skeptical of crypto, but I also—it's hard to avoid like this drumbeat of crypto PR that suggests that this mainstream adoption is just around the corner. And that there's all these legitimate use cases and these big financial firms are interested in crypto. Mm. And I went to go look into Tether, which I saw as sort of like the central bank of crypto, maybe the central mystery of crypto. I get to my first crypto conference, Bitcoin Miami 2021. And these guys are just like total clowns. Like I don't see, instead of hearing about like faster remittances, I'm hearing about how Bitcoin is going to make us rich forever. And I'm hearing about like fiat food and the nutrients being robbed from our soil. And like, there's like this weird connection between Bitcoin and meat. Um, both are like good for you. Um, right, oh, okay. so, so yeah, like Bitcoin so, was like paleo, but for currency then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the Bitcoin guys are paleo. A lot of um, empty carbs in those US dollars. So I, one of the first Tether guys that I was, uh, looking into was Brock Pierce. He was like one of the founders of Tether. He's a former child actor. And he, if you've seen The Mighty Ducks, the oh, hockey yeah. movie, he yeah. plays Gordon Bombay in the flashback at the beginning. He misses the penalty shot. Uh, it, haunts, it haunts his alcoholic future self. Um, and this guy, he'd had a career, really weird career, worked at for this extremely creepy dot-com startup. Um, when its founder fled to Spain to avoid um, sex abuse charges, Brock Fred fled with him. Um, Brock never implicated in the sex abuse charges, I should say. But this guy had... He just liked fleeing. <laughs> um, this tether coin that was so important in the crypto world was apparently dreamed up by like this total weirdo. And... But meanwhile, like, I also had sort of resisted crypto for being too silly to investigate. But when I'm looking into it, I'm like, okay, this coin is like, they're supposedly have $60 billion. Nobody knows where it is. Everyone involved with it is totally bizarre. But meanwhile, um, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen around that time called a meeting of all the top financial regulators. And the topic was like, tether, like the coin dreamed up by this mighty ducks guy. And they're like, what if they don't have the money? Could it take down crypto? Could it take down the whole financial world? And that, like, the juxtaposition of, like, huge amounts of money 
but totally bizarre characters. That's when I realized, like, oh, this is something that there's something for me here. Like, this is a topic I should really dive into. And I ended up getting, yeah, totally sucked in. We're in flim flam country, boy. (laughs) (laughs) And I I think when we talk about stuff like the Bitcoin Miami conference, right, what, what comes through in the book is that it really does have the feeling of a sort of religious revival. It's just that that religion is a kind of syncretic blend of, as you say, the paleo diet, libertarianism, get rich quicks, uh, hucksterism. And cap right? stuff. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. that's why with Bitcoin, you talk about taking the orange pill. And actually, I think one of the best simple vignettes to summarize the crypto world that you were in comes towards the end of the book. Uh, is in, you're in Lugano in Switzerland, and you've tracked one of the founders of Tether to Lugano, a city that claimed, a la El Salvador, that it would use Bitcoin as legal tender, even though in Lugano you found nobody except the mayor and other crypto weirdos were even aware that this was a proposal. Oh, they've got like a Swiss <laughs> Eric Adams as their yeah. mayor. That's awesome. <laughs> and, and what I liked is that you... Is Let that your you, haters become your waiters at the fondue of success. <laughs> is... <laughs> Uh, is that the partner of um, one of the, uh, I believe this Vanderveld's partner, uh, Valentina Picozzi, an Italian artist, was exhibiting the paper and its mirror NFT, a series of artworks, um, not actually NFTs, but just about cryptocurrency. And you write, as I waited, the art critics and I respectfully contemplated the work. A blister pack of large orange pills with the Bitcoin logo on them, which is a reference to the meme taking the orange pill for Bitcoin, and a piece of white paper embossed with the phrase, son of a bit. There was also a Venezuelan bill, but with a black guy in Simon Bolivar and a dollar bill with George Washington holding his head in his hands. And what I think is so telling about that is, is that you, <laughs> when you're making Bitcoin art, right, you cannot t- separate it from the feeling of smug superiority over everybody else, but also the feeling that everybody is going to follow you into this thing and naturally become your servants. What about this George, George Washington, but he's an ape? Mm. But you, you get what I mean, right? Yeah, I mean... The I actually would talk about that with crypto people because I, I would be like, let's say we follow your plan through to like its logical conclusion. Will the Winklevoss twins be the richest people in the world? Will we all will we all be their servants? Like, are we just going to bow down before the people who happen to like buy some bitcoins right now? I mean, it didn't really make much sense. Um, mm. I should also say, yeah, Valentina, understandable confusion. Valentina was the partner of Giancarlo Divasini. Mm. The former plastic surgeon who uh, uh, was the boss of Tether. Um, so many weird guys. Yeah. Bitcoin art is literally the worst. Um, and every conference is, is full of these uh, like paintings of uh, like Pepe the Frog or uh, Michael Saylor, the really popular like Bitcoin guy on Twitter, him as like a god, Bitcoin as like a god, like stabbing Janet Yellen. Like wow, <laughs> there's nobody can uh, come up with anything clever for this uh, this Bitcoin art, but I think it does. There's like this desire to create some meaning behind what's just like make it something more than like a pyramid scheme. You got to backfill mm. some philosophy, some culture behind it. Yeah, there's there is a kind of uh, cultural void at the heart of all crypto guys, isn't there? You see, you see mm. any any kind of cultural product that comes out of like the blockchain crypto space or now kind of the AI space, which is populated by very similar types of guys. It's just so like 
meaningless it's like perfectly smooth yeah. like you couldn't well, it, it's, a, you it's, have... it's that and the combination of them trying to do it in the first place like i i don't need mm. a lot of like dollar themed art from my dollar guys right mm. but like yeah. th those people are sort of like stereotypically quite boring but these guys all felt the need to like have some art or like enable some art of this like revolutionary new project they were trying right mm. well the way i i, I see it right is that the history of, uh, I think, the sort of, um, let's say, capitalist economies is the history of creating justifications for their existence through ideology, among many other things, right? It's just that this happens with, with the invention of the computer and then with the invention of things like crypto. This has to, ha these cycles happen much faster. And so the cultural justifications are much, are much more improvised and hasty. Mm. And, so in <laughs> and so instead of... Um, Instead of, you know, I don't know, European opera or what have you peaking around like the age of sale or things of that nature. Um, instead, it's like, okay, well, we've invented a new economy. I guess we need to slap some culture on this. How about we have, you know, our least favorite government official being struck by a falling Bitcoin meteor? Right. It, it's, it's, um, <laughs> it's just it's it's not uh, there's nothing at the core of it except just it and more and bigger and everyone else is going to be beaten and we're smart and they're stupid. And so it's art about how great we are, but without the benefit of like, you know, getting a Renaissance painter to portray the Pope he doesn't like as a demon. I think conventional banks should do their own art that you can buy. I think we should have Banksy of America. Mm -hmm. I want to see that. You think? Do you think David <laughs> Sullivan should put down his DJ decks and start being like a conceptual artist? Yeah, that would be cool. Imagine like a like a graffiti on the outside of Goldman Sachs, like a naked guy holding like a briefcase full of money. Whoa, crazy! I mean, literally, so, all yeah. they, all they have is the big bull. You know, uh, mm -hmm. could do better. Yeah. Could do better than that. You know, I got the big bull. Oh, well, that's because of their cock fetish. <laughs> let's uh, let, let's talk a little more about Tether specifically, right? You see, we say this book started out by pulling on the thread of Tether. It's one we've been interested in for a while as well. We've talked a lot about Tether. Um, and it's run by this blend of, yeah, child, former child stars, ambitious plastic surgeons, loose Eurofinance guys. And it's this... <laughs> All the same guy, actually. <laughs> and it's this one company that underpins the whole entire house of cards of crypto that we've descri described as working basically as a thing th where there would be a huge tether print and then all of it would be used to buy bitcoin the bitcoin price would go up and then tether would say trust us we have everything that you could possibly want yeah don't um, worry about it it's yeah yeah vault. oh you can totally redeem your dollars for tether uh no one has ever asked to ever or your tether yeah, for yeah, dollars we got a whole me. room full of dollars mm. you can't see yeah. it no so Tether, I, as I understand it, as, as you talk about it, it, has two use cases, which is number one being the central bank of crypto, uh, i.e. creating money where there was none, but based on a shared interest by insiders and close up people and keeping up appearances, and also a kind of Western union for what's called pig butchering scams. Um, so I want to talk first about the company itself and then its various uses. Tell me a little bit about actually meeting some of the tetherers. So it's a, it's a real small operation. Um, and the Giancarlo and this boss and Jean-Louis Vanderveld, the, his like lieutenant there, they don't come to these crypto conferences. Vanderveld is actually seen so rarely that some people had told me they thought he didn't really exist. Um, <laughs> but, Satoshi situation. I, the yeah. Scarlet yeah. Vanderveld. Um, uh, but at, um, Crypto Bahamas, the big conference put on by Sam Bankman-Fried. The crypto world basically revolves around conferences, 
Like some of these people just don't work. They just go from conference to conference. Um, mm. But I, I did, I got introduced to Vanderveld at this conference. He did exist. And some of these guys, I feel like, like they know they're playing a role mm. and they do it, they do it well in a way that I have to appreciate as a writer. Um, like I, I met him. I was like, great to meet. And he's like the man who doesn't exist. And I was like, <laughs> oh, good line, Mr. Vanderveld. Mm. Um, but when we sat that we talked for hours and he just seemed like totally out of his depth. He seemed like he didn't really like know much about what was going on. He claimed he didn't care about money. I'm like, isn't your whole business creating this this new form of money? Um, and just like didn't have much interesting to say about crypto at all. Um, and I finally caught up with Divasini, who's like the power behind Tether in Lugano at yet another conference, this one put on by Tether. And what I found, it was a conference where they just talked about Bitcoin all day. I mean, it's one of these terrible, you, do you know Max Kaiser, the Bitcoin mm. podcaster? The like, uh, one of the most bombastic of these crazy Bitcoiners talking about how Bitcoin fixes everything. He's a um, semi-official part of uh, the Bukele administration now. He's moved down to El Salvador. So cool. the Tether guys through this conference, and it was just like hour after hour of this really boring contentless Bitcoin talk. And they all sat there in the front row the whole day. Like, I think these guys really like Bitcoin, um, which is weird because they've created this dollar coin, which is a little like anti-Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I felt like they... these. Well, this is consistent across crypto. They have all these ideas, which are kind of, maybe they're smart, maybe they're dumb, maybe they're boring, maybe they're interesting, but they don't really pay any attention to what's really happening with their coin. Mm -hmm. Like there was no real talk of like what was actually going on with Tether. Like they've created this powerful company. How are people actually using this? Yeah, this new way of moving dollars around the world. Um, well, finding so that out is a lot like, of work, and my keyboard is stuck together with soy sauce, so... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I I kept hearing about... I didn't learn much from their, you know, from their conference, um, but I kept hearing about how Tether's used in illicit activities, and it came up, uh, a Russian money launderer was doing some sort of Venezuelan oil deal, the FBI intercepted his texts, and one of them, he's he's selling Tether to his co-conspirator, and he's like, yo, you gotta get Tether. Everybody's doing it. It's so fast. You don't have to put your name down. Um, and it, it, recently, it's come up in, uh, it was used by Chinese fentanyl traffickers who were sanctioned. Um, there's some evidence that it's been used by Hamas for fundraising. Um, but the use case that I really looked into were these pig butchering scams. So what? these are like the text, you know, these are the tech, you ever get the text messages that the wrong number of text messages I've, that are just like, I've received one of those before. Um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, basically a, like someone, like a lady contacts you and sends, you know, like, Oh, are you, you know, such and such, like, like no, bulk? no wrong number. And then, mm. um, yeah, it tries to get, say, Oh, well, I guess we can become friends anyway. How are you? And it's like, <laughs> All right, you're talking to a wrong number. <laughs> I'm uh, very intrigued by Russian scammer man. Yeah. I, I love that guy just being like, buy Tether, quick and easy. And may I say now, I will never <laughs> be killed with crossbow and sauna. <laughs> 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 um, sorry, but we, I want to talk a little more about the, about the industrial levels of um, 
like scamming, like kind of like a Nigerian print scam, but sort of a new flavor of it mm. enabled so it literally by pig butchering. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a uh, it's a phrase that would that mean the idea is that the victim is the pig. You fatten them up with your fake friendship, maybe some text based romance. You convince them this is how the scam works. Eventually, this woman will start dropping hints about how rich she is. She doesn't have to work. Plays golf a day. Look at my Ferrari. Oh yes, I've made a lot of profits on my Bitcoin trades. And eventually, and they're very patient about this. It'll be days. Eventually, she'll say, "Hey, if you want to try out my trading strategies, um, download Coinbase or one of those other legit crypto apps. Buy some Tether and send them to this address, which is where we can do the special trades. And people will legitimately send." hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. Like people get seriously tricked by this. But the, yeah, the really dark part is that these messages mostly originate in Cambodia and Myanmar. And there's like office towers full of thousands of people who are just trapped there and forced to send these spam text messages all day long. They're tortured, they're beaten. They're not allowed to leave unless they pay ransom. Um, It sounded like when I heard about this, it sounded like a conspiracy theory, but I've spoken to people who've escaped from these places. I went to go visit them myself. Um, truly, truly evil. Uh, and all fueled by Tether. Mm. Um, and the crypto guys would say to me, hey, like, this isn't, you know, there have been scams before. Is, it, you're out, you're, is this really Tether's fault? You know, uh, Tether doesn't, they don't, probably don't know anything about this. And I'm like, no, they probably don't, but they've set up this system that's perfect for old people in the U.S. zapping hundreds of thousands of dollars to Chinese gangsters in Cambodia. Um, so at the, by the time I'm in Cambodia, I've been looking into this for like two years. And I started out th- like thinking crypto is pretty silly. This was a surprise twist. And I'd, every place I go, basically, I was finding nobody's using crypto in the real world. Um it's all just like hype and empty promises. But I get to Cambodia, I get to Chinatown, where one of the headquarters of these scam compounds, and like this doesn't prove anything, but right at the entrance to this evil office park, there's a closed currency exchange, and I can still see on its like sign USDT with the symbol for tether. Like we will trade your tethers for cash here once you've you know, scam them off uh, mm-hmm. the Canadian with the bad taste in movies or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, and this is um, this uh, this is like what one of the things that they they do. This is one of the it's real so, actual it's use so cases. Weird, to like like anytime we speak with like you know serious journalists who like go and investigate the things at the end of this, it's like on the one hand like sheer misery, and on the other like fuss and those things existing at the same time. You know, Look, you're either butchering a pig or you're shaving a poodle. Those are the two kinds of. <laughs> well, I was about to say, yeah, you've seen the poodle being shaved in the sort of like wire card analogy here, where they had the building that was supposedly, you know, this huge international trading hub, and you know, uh, you know, the FT knock on the door and it's four guys shaving a poodle. Well, th- this is like a worse version of this, you know. Mm. But the diff- I think one, of- and in both cases, right? There was, if you think, want to think about what wire card and crypto is basically the same thing, which is a large confidence trick. You know that that they also go around the world projecting that that suave image, they, that sort of excitable image. They also are able to tell 
um, people that want to be scammed, in this case, the German government, that they have the answer to all their woes and it won't cost them a thing. Just don't look too hard at what we're doing. Well, right? This man was very convincing. He had a poodle. Yeah. <laughs> Shave. Um, and yeah, but in the, the other yeah. uh, the other parallel here, too, is that if Wirecard had a legitimate business, it was payment processing for sketchy things like mm. like porn or actually they did a lot of payment processing for scams, too. Mm. And, and gambling as well, I believe, you know, that was like Wirecard was their bread and butter was offshore gambling. And but it's the um, you know, it's it is ultimately right. It is that the um, the other the big, let's say inflate the value of the thing and pass it off to a sucker use case in the case of Wirecard and uh, also crypto was essentially an image one but where that image is is always saying two things right they're always speaking out of out of different sides of their mouths on the one side they're saying we are going to change the way normal people's lives are experienced right and on the other side they're going to say this thing is going to be so valuable to own that the main thing you do with it is sell it to someone else. Um, and, you know, I, I note the only people who really still believe, there are people who still believe uh, at least that first narrative about crypto. And I, I was just looking into this the other day, which is the UK. There is only <laughs> that the UK yeah. is oh, going ahead. That's the place ahead. where Bitcoin is from. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that the UK um, has uh, decided, this is uh, the Treasury saying this. Uh, stable coins have the potential to become a widespread means of retail payment, driving consumer choices and efficiencies. Um, and I just, I don't understand how now, having experienced the last several years of the crypto crash, having seen Brian Armstrong spending 10 minutes trying to buy a donut with Bitcoin with the fastest way to do that possible, and then understanding that the actual use case, actually for most of it, other than just inflate it and sell it to a sucker, is scams oh, like other, the treasury scams. has the treasury has a serious like pie gal problem you know that all of that money that you pay in taxes that's going straight to macau <laughs> yeah i mean i could you could sort of talk yourself into it if you wanted to advocate the crypto side i mean i don't know what your fees are in the uk but in the us when you swipe your card if it's a credit card you're paying something like two three percent in fees i mean it's actually amazing how much the credit card monopoly is able to rake off all these transactions. So the idea that there could be some sort of alternative, I can see why it's appealing. It's just like, all right, crypto guys, like you've had your chance. Like all the ones, I met all the biggest guys in crypto. They all got like arrested or sued or like now they're in jail. It's like, you you know what? Like maybe we should try something else now. Mm. Like you, you've ruined, you've, you've blown it. <laughs> yeah, they really shaved the poodle on that one. I mean, you know, this is going beyond just like, like Tether, this, and by the way, Tether, in all of the collapsing dominoes of crypto, Tether is one of the last ones still standing. It's, it's amazing. They have only grown. They now have $85 billion and they still aren't saying exactly where they are, but because interest rates have gone up now, if they have those $85 billion, they could invest them in US treasuries and simply collect um, pure profit of like a billion dollars or more a quarter. That's what they say they're doing. And it's kind of plausible. I mean, I feel like even if they had a hole, if they, even if they were short money in the past, they could earn their way out of it now that interest rates are higher because the people who use Tether do not collect any interest. 
It's like an amazing business to run a bank now that doesn't have to pay interest. <laughs> well, yeah. effectively, right. Like, if you think about like the Wirecard comparisons, I think are, are now running thick and fast, which is that Wirecard, they were they tried to get big enough as a scam that they could they could pump the value of the company so much that they could then buy Deutsche Bank and then all of their scams become a rounding error on Deutsche Bank's balance sheet and they get away with it. Right. That was their exit strategy. Tether. Right. As you say, like. Even if they were shady at some point. Dutch Vanderland being like, oh, we're going to go to Tahiti, but instead of Tahiti, it's Tyson or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that Tether, maybe at some point, was, um, you might say, I don't know, like shady or uh, uh, did, let's say, didn't have cash or cash like assets enough to back up every Tether in circulation. But now the US government and, and other governments around the world have basically forcibly closed all of its competitors, like Celsius or Gemini or like all these other or FTX as well or Bitfinex. All of it these gone. all sound like garage Merely DJs. for being involved in a series of alleged crimes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right? If that's all now happened. The US government's closed its competitors and is also like it's and its main asset, which it never has to pay out any spread on, is now just extremely valuable. It may have actually gotten away with it if there was indeed anything to get away with. You get my meaning? Definitely. I mean, it's amazing that it didn't that it lasted so long or that it's gotten to where it is because in the traditional finance world, some of these red flags that were clear all the way along would have been enough to set off like a run on the bank. Like if you had a hedge fund and it was revealed that oh actually the founder was a child actor with this crazy story um and like he's the guy who thought up this whole idea that might be enough to like discredit it or tether i mean years ago they were sued by the new york attorney general for fraud it was shown that they'd lied about their assets in the past like that in the traditional world that would discredit you and make it hard for you to keep growing and accumulating billions and billions of dollars but in the crypto world tether's just like I don't know, they shrug it off. It's amazing. Mm, I mean, and they shrug it off presumably just because they got too big to essentially got too big to fail. They were involved in far too much of the rest of the crypto world. They're, everything else sort of ran on them. Yeah, the whole because the whole point of the crypto world was to essentially, like I've said this many times before, it was to inflate the value of Bitcoin. Like the whole point of the real estate market in the US from 2001 to 2008 was to inflate the value of property outside Orlando. Bitcoin was Florida condos. But the, all of the engine of the actual exchanges, the pipes were basically tethers moving back and forth, right? And it's been, it's been even proven, like they've admitted that, um, for example, Celsius, Alex Mashinsky would send bitcoins to tether as collateral for giant loans of tether coins so that like that's essentially like what the conspiracy theorists were alleging like we know it was happening um but amazingly they were able to even when celsius collapsed and was re revealed to be a big fraud itself tether apparently was able to unwind those loans without taking a without taking a big loss mm -hmm. like again that's so well how but also, if you are that well collateralized as a bank, how come you're the you're you're you are the only bank that has never been like they're so resistant to being audited by anyone other than Hollywood upstairs financial auditing company, <laughs> right? And I had I had a funny conversation with Vanderveld about this part, and he said I I said like listen I was 
I was just with Sam Bankman Freed. He let me look over his shoulder all day while he, you know, did his business. He doesn't seem like he's got anything to hide. Um, and Vanderbilt said... It doesn't seem said, like he knows he has anything to hide. <laughs> um, Vanderbilt was like, oh, yes, it must be so easy to for Sam Bankman Freed. You know, he didn't have to deal with the early days. He didn't have to take on the risks that we did. You know, we we can't open our books now. And it seemed like he was saying, yeah, like we've maybe we're clean now, but like there's stuff in our past that we just, we can't talk about. And that's why we have to be secretive. Mm. Mm. Um, you, you mentioned Celsius as well. Uh, before we sort of get into the final discussion of the ape meetup, uh, I do want to talk a little bit about Celsius, something I didn't know, which is that um, Celsius, just to remind listeners, we have talked about it before, was a kind of, Re- like it would sell something like a, a bit of a crypto version of a treasury bond to like a retail depositor it's like yeah you deposit some money then we we'll get like a five percent uh guaranteed return which is great not great for crypto but great for anything in traditional finance but mm-hmm. it's guaranteed because it's in like money market funds or whatever and then it turns out that celsius just deposited a huge amount of money in three arrows capital um which uh collapsed when terra luna collapsed um and a few funny things here actually is that on May 11th, one of the lenders to Three Arrows Capital messaged an executive asking the fund for repayment, to which a Three Arrows Capital executive wrote back, yo, uh, (laughs) (laughs) before not repaying the loan. (laughs) Um, Um, I I love these Three Arrows Capitals guy. They've been on like a press tour since their fund collapsed. One of them did just get arrested, but the other one did a whole profile in the New York Times where... He was like, yeah, I've just been like doing a lot of mushroom surfing, finding myself uh, no like sorry for losing $10 billion or whatever it was. Well, it's because it's uh, you know, it's he he lost a fun game essentially, Mm. because one of the other things about crypto and this is when we get back to like looking at Celsius, uh, Terra Luna, Bitfinex, um, like all of these companies, Gemini as well. That just loaned they they created this fake economy by loaning each Mm. other a bunch of tokens. There was actually an incredibly small amount of real money in that whole system compared to how much economic activity there was and certainly compared to the overall quote unquote market capitalizations of any of the tokens. Yeah, I mean, when I started out with crypto, I was like, it started, the story starts where I'm, I'm annoyed with my friend for telling me to go buy Dogecoin. And I'm, when I'm meeting all these crypto guys, I'm like, you aren't all just going and betting the money on Dogecoin, are you? And then like, Basically, they are like they're either doing it themselves or they're lending the money to three hours capital, which is doing it like there's no actual economic activity going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is why one of the reasons I think you can you can do that. You can lose, quote unquote, 10 billion dollars and then just be like, oh, yeah, I'm doing mushrooms and surfing and I'm I'm ready to try again soon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But before we go, right, I want to talk about your trip to ApeFest. Um, and this was like the saddest ape fest because it was the oh. ape fest. It was the ape fest when the prices started collapsing. <laughs> the day what the music was, died. Yeah. What was it like? Uh, the day that the apes died. You know, I've realized that if you're at ape fest, I mean, you're committed to the bit. Like mm. basically, once you buy a bored ape, you now must laugh at. Like you must now love bored apes, and because we're basically like an NFT. The idea is that like if we all just agree that we're gonna laugh at this meme then we'll all get rich. And we just have to mm. like laugh really hard on Twitter like every day. And so the people who are at ApeFest, they're still, they're still trying. 
they're still they're still yeah. committed to it but um but yeah it was just it was sad to see um i i came with my own mutant ape um <laughs> i named him dr scum he cost okay. twenty thousand dollars um and i realized like a horrible flaw in this ape system which was that people who don't have apes hate apes and will just laugh at you for having one but the people who have the apes don't care because we all have apes they all look the same nobody wants to look at anyone else's ape so what mm. happened was it was just like a bunch of dudes standing around all drunk and stoned and like handing each other stickers with their apes printed on them um awesome it honestly it was the best crypto conference i've ever been to it was much better than like the bitcoin ones i was i was truly shocked and that there's actually was nothing to do with your ape at ape fest it was just like yeah have a have an ape drink and like stand here Ugh. listen to amy schumer make fun of you she had some good jokes i like that mm. but ap schumer yeah the <laughs> yeah. um that's that's like what Probably I sort the of... high watermark for Amy Schumer being the normal one in the room. That's gone. <laughs> <laughs> but like the um, what what really strikes me about about ApeFest, especially as you write about it, is that it was just as the crypto economy was a simulation of an economy with very little actual bearing on the real world. Um, you know, ApeFest is a simulation of culture and community, but where no one actually has anything in common other than a desire to have something in common with each one another and celebrities. It's, it's, yeah, it's a I blank mean, space that just happens was, to be this, filled with an ape. <laughs> this was re revealed when I, uh, I, I did get my money's worth. I was able to confront Jimmy Fallon there, celebrity <laughs> ape promoter. Uh, yeah. And he's like, he's, I, I showed him my ape. He pretended to be interested. And then... I'm like, Jimmy Fallon, why did you tell everyone to get these apes? Like, the prices crashed. They all lost lots of money. And he was like, oh, it's the community, man. And I'm like, community? Like, look at what kind of, look around you. They made Jimmy like, Fallon also, go you to this, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, he, he was in the VIP in the back. Mm. Yeah. He, he wasn't hanging out with the other apes. <laughs> yeah. He was a VI ape. <laughs> so even, even in ape paradise, there remains. A VIP section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got they got the simian in there. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, the 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 last thing we'll talk about before we leave is also on NFTs. This was years later after Brock Pierce had founded Tether. Um, he invented a new business, which is a yacht that he owns, but that you are allowed to go on if you own an NFT. And explaining what it was like, he said, "We're the Avengers. It's the <laughs> Avengers ship." <laughs> okay. Great. Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah. Um, another guy who just like is always playing a part and as a journalist you have to appreciate someone who generates such good content mm -hmm. you know he's like uh, he because you, you go to most guys I go to describe him and it's like oh another guy he's got like a funny fedora with a feather in it he's wearing a ankle length leather vest even though he's like five foot five he's shirtless he's got tattoos I mean he's got so many uh, oh he's a pickup funny, artist he, he speaks in riddles. It is sort of a pickup artist look, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and he sent a speedboat to take me to his yacht. So thank you, <laughs> weird Mighty Ducks guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one day you'll be able to buy one of those from Alameda mm. Capital. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, um, so I think we're now all the Avengers, uh, not of the NFT world, but of being uh, done with this podcast. Yeah. We're, the, we're the Diana Rig Avengers. <laughs> yeah. so not the podcast in general, just this episode. Yeah. Please, uh, please do not unsubscribe. <laughs> so I want to say, Zeke, uh, author of Number Go Up, a, place, a book you can buy from wherever you buy books. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. Thanks for having me on.
Uh, our pleasure. And thank you, the listener, uh, for listening. And don't forget, there is a second episode every week. That is a premium one. It fucking is. You can mm-hmm. get it for $5 cash American per month. We mm-hmm. do not accept Tether at this time. Yeah. Um, but we can also sell you trash future tuning forks, outboard motors, <laughs> mopeds, <laughs> speedboats, and... Uh, also, don't forget, of course, the link for Medical Aid for Palestinians is going to be in the description of the episode, so do donate to that first. Yeah. Um, We're going to be sending them some tubers. <laughs> and uh, otherwise, I think, uh, Milo, you have dates? Uh, yeah. Uh, 11th of November, Bristol. Uh, 12th of November, Birmingham. 14th of November, Oxford. 22nd of November, London is already sold out. Oh, lovely. Oh, also, yeah, 24th of November, um, Barcelona. Does anyone listen to this in Barcelona? I guess you'll find out. That's on my website. If you listen to this and you're in Barcelona, come up and talk to Milo after the show. Talk to him for a while, actually, I think. Show me your ape. How about that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, show me your ape. Literally, not figuratively. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, anyway, uh, all the end matter being done. Zeke, once again, thank you. Listeners, thank you for listening. And we'll see you in a few short days on the next episode. Bye. 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 Thank you.